0: Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. My name is Josh Lyons. I've been listening to Hardcore Punk since 1995. I have booked shows, put out a fanzine, run a record label, and now I'm doing a podcast. This is the Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Welcome to Episode 30. As always, you can find us on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. There you'll find links to all the streaming information as well as social media. And as always, follow us on Instagram at Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Today's episode, we're going to have a return guest, uh, Greg Benoit, Rochester Hardcore History. Uh, Him and I kind of talked about uh, doing some stuff like this before, so now we're finally going to do it. Um, So obviously, the year is 2021 right now, but what we're doing right now is kind of jumping back to 2001 for what I kind of like to call uh, 2001, a Rochester Hardcore Odyssey. So yeah, we'll get to all that in a little bit, but we're going to catch up with Greg first. So how's
1: everything going for you tonight, Greg? Well, I'm hanging in there, and I was I was thinking about um, last time we talked, which was almost a year ago at this point. It was shortly after the pandemic had started, and and you kind of put this together to keep yourself occupied. And I'm I'm excited that you've kept it up. Um, you know, after things have started to get back to normal, but I don't know. I'm feeling a lot more optimistic this this time around than I was last time when we were speaking. Um, Although I'm I'm a little interested to hear how your adventures in parenting have been uh, in the pandemic, Pandemic, because it's been pretty challenging for, for us here.
0: You know, it hasn't been that bad because like our son's pretty much used to the way things have been. Like he was only two when it started. So it's basically like his, his memories are, are of this now, like the, the mask and stuff like that. The only thing is like, after like 10 minutes, he wants to take the mask off. But, like, yes. everything else, like it was tough for him at first with like not going to daycare for a couple months last year, but that's all kind of a thing of the past now. Um, he, I mean, the daycare he goes to is like just a person's house and that's only like, her and her two kids and one other kid that she takes care of so it's 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 pretty it's pretty small there so it really hasn't been that tough on us but like what's been challenging for you guys
1: uh it's been i shouldn't say the pandemic's been the challenging part but my my oldest son who um is four uh throughout the whole pandemic um we, we we had noticed he's been having some difficulty in daycare and preschool uh and so we started getting him evaluated and then the, the pandemic hit. Um, but after the shutdown, he was diagnosed with autism and ADHD. Um, so he's a really energetic kid and, you know, staying locked down in your house is not exactly his idea of a good time. Um, but he's doing pretty good now. He got signed up in this, uh, preschool for kids who have, they have all kinds of kids in there with, you know, autism, uh, ADHD, they've got typical kids, kids in wheelchairs and stuff. He, so he goes to this special needs school, uh, which is good because he got kicked out of his old school for being being too wild uh, and needed too much one on one help, which was kind of kind of kind of challenging at the time because it was, it was still when things were kind of touch and go with this, the status of you know education and what's open and what's not. Um, but it's yeah, it's been kind of a learning experience for me as uh, as, 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 as the pandemic has worn on and I'm trying to get my kids signed up with these services and get get them to the like these appointments with all the social distancing and you know special restrictions and stuff has been's has been kind of challenging, but I still in some ways feel like it's been a gift too because i I just unless I had had a kid when I was like on summer vacation in high school, like there's just not going to be a a period of like three months where I don't have to go to work every day and get to hang out with my, my family. So I'm grateful for that experience. And I'm grateful for the, you know, the things I've learned and the strength I've developed, uh, while living through this, but it hasn't always been easy.
0: Yeah, no, it's definitely been challenging. And, and, you know, it sounds like you guys are definitely going to have, have a challenge there. Obviously. I mean, you know, my girlfriend helped, uh, you know, raise a kid with, with uh special needs like that and, and he's he's doing really well now so obviously yeah, good. you know, things things, you know, can work out pretty well with that. So but yeah, no, I guess the other news that I I don't know how much you and I have talked about uh this uh I mentioned it on a couple episodes, but we have another kid on the way. So we're gonna Yeah, have, I saw uh,
1: that. I saw that. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah,
0: thanks. Yeah. So we're gonna have a boy and a girl, but that's obviously, you know, speaking of you asking about like things being challenging during the pandemic, like that's probably my biggest concern. I mean, obviously we're getting pretty close with like the, the vaccines available now and stuff. And you know, my girlfriend's not really, I don't, I don't think she's going to get it until after she has a baby, because it's not really been tested on pregnant people. Like I'm going to try to get it when I can get it, you know, going into the hospital for a couple of days uh, for the childbirth and stuff is, is something I'm pretty, uh, pretty nervous about, you know what I mean? My
1: my sister-in-law just had, had her third kid, um, on Thursday last week. And I was talking to her this morning about what's different having a kid in a pandemic. So, she had to wear a mask the whole time, which probably sucks real bad when you're in labor. But it sounds like she felt pretty safe. So,
0: But yeah, this episode, uh, not, to, not to pat myself on the back, uh, it's kind of in celebration of my 40th birthday, which is this week, which will be the day I, I air this, hopefully. And also, not to pat myself on the back, but a lot of the shows we're going to talk about uh, I booked. Uh, and that's just, I think, by like lucky chance that I just happen to be the one putting on a lot of the shows and uh, I'm just glad that I was here to be able to do that. Uh, I'm sure if somebody else was here and wanted to step up and do that, they could have done it too. I'm not saying that I was the only one who could have done something like this. It's just, you know, uh, uh, a lucky You're accident. in
1: the right place at the right time with
0: the right connections. Exactly. So yeah, we'll get into that um, in a second. One other thing I had to ask you about, though, that I, had, I didn't throw in the notes, though, is we had talked about a new band you were doing last time. Is there any more news on that or anything? Or is that kind of slowed down because of the pandemic? It's, it's
1: slowed down because of the pandemic, but um, we're eager to get started back up on that. I've kind of hit the pause button on most of my creative projects right now while I kind of get my son acclimated to his new school and you know get my youngest son, who's who's 18 months, uh, you know get him... Get him, um, you know, in, into the world um, during the pandemic. But yeah, uh, the, we still talk all the time. Uh, it's so it's Nate from Red Death, uh, Eric from Tears of Isaiah, Sean Chud from the Chuds and Building on Fire, and then my brother and I from Witness. Um, but we're—I'm not sure. We don't really have a timetable for when we're going to start like playing shows. But we're all eager to get out of this kind of doldrums that we're all in because of the the pandemic. And then uh, I'm still working on the Rochester Hardcore History book with Rob, but that one's been kind of moved to the back burner while I, I get my son uh, uh, situated and get him through some of these transitions. But I'm really looking forward to getting, getting, getting to work on that again, especially because the Achilles book that he's put together um, looks just fantastic. So I, I'm excited to see, uh, I'm excited for 2021, because I think some of the things I thought were going to happen in 2020 will actually come to fruition. Yeah, definitely. And and just on a little side note
0: there, for anybody who didn't see the Instagram live that Rob and I did last night, uh, check it out on the Enterprise Hardcore Podcast Instagram. Uh, he, he talks a lot about the Achilles book on there. Um, that, that's definitely, like you said, a really cool project that is going to be really cool to see. Um, I think more bands and more people and more cities should do what you guys and and what he's doing yeah. with that book are doing. It's it's really cool. So yeah, we'll get in two thousand one. Like you were kind of saying uh, before the episode started, the the first show we're going to talk about we're coming up in, on the on the twenty year anniversary of it, which which is for obvious reasons because I threw that show on my birthday in two thousand one. Um. So uh, one thing I want to preface to before I start talking about these shows with you is that I don't know about you, but I don't have these flyers right in front of me. So I I took notes of like the main bands that played these shows, and then I'm gonna to try to remember the rest of them off the top of my head.
1: Yeah, so. I I went back and looked at some of them because I couldn't remember. I get it's been long enough that I get like basically all the Bane shows confused into one now. But yeah, I went through. I I do have all the flyers from the show. so I'll post them when when you put the episode up to promote it.
0: That's perfect. All right, cool. So yeah, we're talking about March 18th, 2001. So John 25 and I, as as a lot of local other local promoters deal with on and off we had had trouble you know finding what am i trying to say here venues that we could we could use like all the time and stuff so we were looking around and we happened upon the fairport vfw i don't know if it was i think rory's dad had a hook up there so that might have had something to do with it too but him and i started doing a couple shows there in 2001 and i know this is one of the first ones we did again it was for my birthday uh it was stand fast strike anywhere count me out miles between us Wrong the oppressor and i want to say maybe trouble loves me opened so yeah we'll kind of we'll kind of just talk about this one for a little bit trouble loves me was from syracuse that was like uh, one of tom ranger's bands i want to say uh from like at least like 97 98 up until like the mid 2000s if not longer that dude was always singing for a band you know eternal yeah uh that was another one Uh, attitude was that one yep attitude was another one i honestly can't remember who else was in trouble loves me off the top of my head I'm sure if somebody from syracuse listened to this they'll have a better idea but yeah ranger was always a good dude i uh i bought a side-by-side hoodie off him uh in 2001 actually and i wore that hoodie a lot that and in my i eyes, think I remember yeah, that yeah that hoodie and in my eyes hoodie i was notorious for like every every other day having one or the other two on for like in that for like two years so yeah and then we had ron the oppressor which is from buffalo which which is interesting about them is um they're they're an, they're an active band again within the last yeah. three or four years they, they started playing again doing shows again uh, I haven't had the opportunity to see him again, but I, I saw him a bunch back then. Uh, Bill Page is a good dude. Uh, Mike Jeffers plays drums for him now. So we'll post up uh, you know a link to their Instagram and stuff like that. Now we're kind of getting more into the, to the, to the more like I'd say the heavy hitters from this one. Uh, Miles Between Us wasn't as well known at this point, but um, I put their seven inch out. So that was why I brought them here for that show because I wanted people to get to know them more. And they ended up playing here quite a bit after that. They played a lot of shows of the Disaster. They toured with them a bit. Somebody else ended up putting out their full length, but you know that's cool. Uh, the Seven Inch, honestly, for me personally, the Seven Inch is my favorite stuff by them. Uh, really good Ottawa Straight Edge. Uh, I don't know if yeah. you have many memories of those guys at all, but
1: I was, I was trying to think of where they were from. I knew they were from Canada. Um, but yeah, they were they were, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were around that era. They were in they were in Rochester like some, like every maybe like four or six months.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of bands, like that's another thing about Rochester around that time, and then and the next band we'll get to, well, the next couple of bands we'll get to, uh, played here a lot because they had a lot of friends here, and they would like do weekends and tour with a lot of bands, there, Miles Between Us being one of them, obviously, and then the next band, uh, Count Me Out uh, from Richmond, uh, they were around for a few years, and for me personally, like they were, they were one of my favorite bands at the time. They had just released the 110 LP on yeah. Decision Records, which is still one of my favorite hardcore records. I uh, actually bought a reissue of that uh, from Indecision Records last year, and listen to that from time to time. Um, and their singer Jason Mazzola, is actually a part. I don't know if you're familiar with that "Where It Went" podcast, uh, the Revelation yeah. podcast. Yeah, their singer. Oh, I didn't.
1: I didn't realize that was him. Yep, he's
0: he's the one who he first started doing like their graphic design stuff, and now I think he like is a, you know, just a part of the podcast in general. I haven't really kept up with some of the more recent episodes because you know it's hard to do with doing this and other stuff, but I'm definitely going to catch up on that. Um, but yeah, no, count me out was. Again, for me, a really good band, really influential. Uh, they did a reunion show uh, for like United Blood and a couple other, maybe another local show. Uh, I want to say 2018 because that was like uh, the year my son was born. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be cool to see those dudes again, though. They played here. I, I booked them like at least two or three times here, so
1: they were cool. Yeah, they played. They played it. Didn't they play with like Time Flies one time? Yeah, at, at Eli Fagan. Yeah, that was that yeah. was that was a really good one that I remember them from. What I remembered about this show. Was that pretty much even the opener, like every band had really good crowd participation, which like Rochester, when we got going, had good crowd participation, but it wasn't quite as as intense as like Syracuse or something. And so to see people moshing for every band was was not not exactly the norm. The, the other thing that really stands out in my mind about this show was it was Stand Fast, which all those guys were from Fairport, I think, at the time. Maybe there was one or two who weren't um playing in Fairport. And so you had a bunch of high school kids from the area that like that was their first show. Um, And like what an awesome first show. Um, You know, such great energy. Um, But after after that show, I remember thinking like, oh Stan Stanfast could be like they could be a much bigger band than they than they were at that time. And I think didn't strike anywhere take them out on tour that summer. Yep. That's, yeah, uh, that's, that's kind
0: of what I was getting at with with like the uh, bands from this area being friends with bands and stuff, and that's yeah. the band that I was referencing about going out. I will agree with you about the crowd participation too, and Count Me Out set uh, specifically is what I remember from that day. I'm, I'm sure we'll get to the next two bands being crazy too, but yeah. um, Count Me Out had played here once before, and again, the 110 LP was still relatively new. So I know I had people from Buffalo at the show, the Miles Between Us people. Uh, me and a bunch of people were just going crazy for them that day. And they also shared, I want to say Garth uh, was in count me out and strike anywhere. So that was, yeah. the they would, they would always play shows together. And I think this was around the time actually that Stan and strike runner became friends too. I mean, it might've been like not too long before this too. I'm not positive about that. And then I don't know if you remember or not, do we have, did strike anywhere headline that night or did Standfast?
1: I feel like Stan would have, but I, th- I thought they did. Yeah. Um, That was my recollection that Stan did. I th- I think that's my recollection because I remember I remember at the time being proud that like Strike Anywhere got such a good response in Rochester and I could tell that they they liked playing in Rochester maybe better than just some random city and uh, and and I'd seen them in other cities and 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 usually when I would travel to see a band around you know when I was that age I'd be going to bigger cities and and the shows would be bigger and there you know there'd be more people moshing and more people singing along but. Uh, for whatever reason, Strike anywhere really struck a chord with everyone in Rochester, and and they always did really well and had a lot of uh, participation when they played. And so that 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 was another reason that show was special for me was because I could tell that uh, you know we we just were at some random stop on a, on a tour for them that 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 this was actually a better than average experience for them too yeah it's always good when you can tell a band genuinely thinks that too because a lot of
0: times bands will say that and you can just kind of tell it's it's just what they have to say i completely agree with you about strike anywhere too like them and bane and I, and there's probably a couple other bands but those are the two that really stick out to me that really did well here probably in a lot of other cities too but like yeah anytime they came to rochester people went crazy for them and like you said we all kind of traveled to other cities around the area to see them play I traveled a lot more to see Bane than Strike Anywhere, but I do remember going to see Strike Anywhere in like Toronto a couple times—not a couple of times, at least once. But another thing that I thought was really cool about Strike Anywhere too, and we'll get to this with StanFast too, obviously, is I think his name's Thomas, their singer. Yeah. Um, he has a lot to say. You know what I mean? Like, and it's not just you know, and they're and they're yeah. still act, they're still active. They're still active band now too, right? Strike Anywhere.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's funny you mention that because honestly, their lyrics from like 20 years ago are almost more relevant now. Um, like they were touching on a, pot, a lot of stuff that is pretty common to hear politicians talking about, like living wages, and you know, although obviously Black Lives Matter wasn't a, a movement at that point, you know, they addressed police violence and and racism in, in a way that you know it, it almost was visionary. You could see them, you know, building the groundwork for this political movement that that is actually you know, making making a difference now. Yeah, you're right about that. And it's it's just I always say that, too,
0: uh, when, when this kind of talk comes up, because like we're blessed or lucky to have been a part of a scene that had so many strong values and ideas like that, that we can pass on to like future generations. And I'd like to think that people like you and I who, you know, kind of share those kind of beliefs might have kind of come across those in other areas, but there's no way to really know. You know yeah. we, we were lucky enough to be a part of like Hardcore and Punk. And as I always kind of reference now, I don't want to to go too far into the weeds with it, but it does kind of suck that there are some people now that have gotten into hardcore and like that are involved with hardcore that have like not those same kind of values. And it's just interesting that, you know, not everyone have the same beliefs, but it's just, you know. Yeah. I
1: mean, I'm okay with people not having the, the same beliefs as long as, you know, like I can, I can get down with people being like more libertarian than me, as long as there's like a live and let live attitude, which you know, usually you find in hardcore, even among people who don't, don't always agree. I mean, of course, there's famous examples of that not working out. When all the stuff was going on this summer with Daniel Prude in Rochester, and the protests around his death, I, I kept revisiting Strike Anywhere, listening to them, but also just thinking about, you know, the beliefs that I have that I had kind of developed in some part through encountering music like them and bands like, you know, I don't know, the Dead Kennedys or Earth Crisis or any other you know, politically motivated band. And it's, you know, you want, I definitely have been in the trap where I've thought, oh yeah, this is, this, this music's great. This is my life. This is where I met most of my friends, but it doesn't, it doesn't really change anything in the world. But I kind of don't know that it does because there's an awful lot of people involved in activism, um, you know, that look like they probably came up through some sort of punk or hardcore adjacent type scene and uh i mean this genre of music has been you know what are we like 50 40 years old so there's 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 probably a good amount of people out there uh you know making decisions that affect the politics uh of the day that that were influenced by by some of these bands the last the
0: last thing i'll say about politics before we jump back into the shows is uh about you know people being able to make a change and you know they always say not to trust a politician but now we have uh justin brandon from indecision yeah. politician so i i trust that dude and i see a lot of stuff that he says and i agree with a lot of stuff that he says so you know maybe there is hope that something will come of our little community you know and there maybe more people like that will come along you know we'll see so there's
1: always and hope I, yeah i i agree and, and i was thinking about him too uh you know i think about him sometimes too with you know change people making change after getting involved in hardcore and i don't know i mean i can't draw a direct line from it but you go into Wegmans now and they have just as many vegan ice cream options as they do dairy ones. And like that has to be in some small part because of, you know, people promoting veganism and vegetarianism, at shows. Yeah, no, you're definitely right about that. So
0: uh, jumping back into this show, cause we got one more band to talk about and they're obviously very important, influential in the Rochester. We talked and Fairport too, for that matter, obviously <laughs> uh, we talked a little bit about them, you know, here and there uh, throughout the show so far, but yeah, Stanfest, obviously, they were. I feel like they were at their peak at this time. You know what I mean. The LP came out like six, seven months before this. That last seven inch came out. Uh, what was that? That summer, or maybe that 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 winter. I think oh, so. T- tell me your thoughts about all that,
1: though. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's it it still stands up because I, I listened to Sick and Tired of of um, trying to explain recently um, for a totally different reason. Um, I, I, as you mentioned earlier i work in a library and the central library in rochester is is doing this project where they're archiving local musicians of all different kinds of genres and somebody reached out to me through the instagram page not knowing that i like work in a library too and asked for you know some music that exemplifies you know hardcore from rochester so i sent them that 7 inch with you know the band's permission but yeah i i just uh that show in particular is one of the best Standfast ones that I went to. And I think it was because there was just so many people participating. In, and at that point, everybody had listened to the the full length all the way through and had known, all, you know, learned all the songs. And it was, you know, it, you, that was probably the show for me where they went from being a popular local band to a band that actually had what it took to have a comparable following in, in other cities around the country.
0: Yeah, that's one thing that does kind of suck about Rochester at that time. There's so many bands that I feel like just didn't get kind of their due. Like standfast could have definitely, like, as we'll reference a little bit later in the episode, they they kind of toured the U.S. but not really. They tried like they didn't make it. You know, we'll talk about that in a second. But yeah, yeah, a band like that could have easily toured the U.S. and, and gained a following, like you're saying. And I feel like if if things were like they are now with Spotify and social media, you know, I mean, I know there's more competition yep. with bands and stuff too. But a band like that, like I was I I was listening to that last seven, seven inch prepping for this episode and i agree it's like man that stuff is you can tell that if they would have put on the record after that like it's man they would have done some really good shit
1: yeah and i mean it wasn't all for nothing because marathon and achilles certainly benefited from the groundwork that standfast laid but yeah i don't know i mean for me i mentioned growing up and, and living in fairport like I, I, I definitely would have found punk and hardcore if I didn't know about the local scene. But once I knew that there were like guys in my high school, you know, who are playing the same music, it it actually made it accessible um, in a way that like, oh, I could I could be in a band that people like. You know, if these people down the street from me can do it. Surely I can too. So that's, I think, why they resonate so much with me, uh, just because of the age I was when they were playing shows. You know, I never really thought about it that way,
0: that that it would have been, I mean, I I, I always have known that bands like that introduced a lot of you guys to hardcore, but I never never put it in that kind of terms until you said it just now. It makes a lot of sense, though.
1: Yeah, you know, just like half the bands I got into around that time, I got into because the people I was like skateboarding with and hanging out with were listening to it, uh, you know. So it's, I don't know, it's it's always nice to see people, you know, too from your own neighborhood or, you know, people you knew when you were younger having success later in life.
0: So uh, the next show we'll kind of talk about occurred uh, about seven months later in October. I guess the kind of backstory real quick on that is uh, Dan Bress and I had become pretty decent friends around that time. And we would talk on, on the instant messenger at the time, which 20 years ago, that was, that was the way we kind of communicated. It was, it was like our text messaging, I guess. I had never booked like a big show. Uh, Matt Pike was like one of the big booking agents at booking agents at the time. And he still books a lot of bands. And I had never booked any shows through him. And I remember Dan Bress like saw somewhere that Matt Pike was putting on a tour for uh carry on. I think he said at the time it was like carry on hope conspiracy and um some band that didn't kill your idols so i emailed matt pike and i was like yo i heard you're putting this tour on can i you know can i get a date on it and i know he had i probably had emailed him like 20 times last year about other shows so finally he probably was just like yo let's give this kid a chance you know so that was like the original it, it ended up originally being uh carry on and hope conspiracy was the tour and then i asked no warning to open and then every time i die got added on because chris ring had sent me a message and been like, you know, we've had Thursday play in Buffalo a bunch of times this year already. Do you think, do you think you'd want to have them play on this show that you're already doing? And I was like, oh, let me think about that for a second. Yeah. You know, like not. And honestly, at the time, like you knew they were blowing up, but they weren't quite. They were on. Yeah. But they weren't quite as big as they ended up becoming. So yeah, that ended up being the show, October 11th, 2001, uh, Brighton Town Park. We had Thursday, Hope Conspiracy, Every Time I Die, Carry On, and No Warning. That was definitely the biggest show that I, I booked at that time, I'm sure I, I booked a couple of shows that ended up having a few more people than that, but there was like 300 people at that show, which is insane to think about because that
1: venue legally holds like 65. So. I was going to say that place was definitely over capacity. And when you, you have to like double the size of the audience when you have like a, bands like that playing the floor, you know, like if they had played at the Penny Arcade, it, it probably would have been, wouldn't have had the same energy, but I just love seeing bands play the floor. And that show too, like every time a revision for the flyer came out, it just kept getting better. Like it was like, Oh no, every time I die playing and, and now Thursday's playing. And and any one of those bands could have headlined a show in Rochester too at that time. For me, that's one of, one of the best shows I've ever been to. And I remember, I don't know, that like is, is a real high watermark for me for like what the hardcore scene was like at that point in time. Like it just, that show perfectly encapsulated it. You had, a bunch of different subgenres of hardcore and, and each one of those bands representing a kind of slightly different sub and they were like kind of all at the top of their game
0: yeah no 100% and the funny thing is uh, this will kind of uh, touch on uh, something that we're going to talk about later is a lot of the influential LPs that came out that year or not just LPs records in general pretty much every single band that played this show that night put out a record that year so as we talk about each band I guess we can kind of talk about that too yeah, yeah. The other funny thing is uh uh Vincent Minervino who ended up singing for Roses Are Red and now lives in New Jersey and does like a lot of really cool stuff in the surf rock community. Uh somebody I'd definitely love to get on on here eventually. Him and I were driving around that day and just kind of like doing like a fake like documentary like video style thing and then he ended up videotaping a bunch of the bands that night too. So I'm pretty sure Brian Ellerton has a copy of at least like some of that show and some other funny stuff too. Oh, he that's talked, awesome. Yeah, he talked about giving it to Rob Antonucci to digitize, but I don't know if that ever happened. So hopefully we'll get that in time for the 20th anniversary of this show. So I, I remember he was just kind of videotaping, like I walked, because because we called it Stash Fest, too. That's actually something we should mention for this, too. Well, I call it <laughs> Stash Fest. The funny thing about this is this was the first year, 2001. Um, I don't know how, how, like, hipster or, like, you know, clever mustaches were at that point. I think they got more clever after, but it might have been by then. I don't know. <laughs> but I called it Stash Fest. And I think just myself, Alex Byrne, and maybe one other person actually grew mustaches. I remember I had interviewed the Hope Conspiracy prior to this for my fanzine. And we're standing outside before talking to those dudes and the drummer and some other dudes like, yo, you look a little different than the the first time you interviewed us. And I'm like, I don't know what you mean. And and then finally I was like, oh, I got the mustache. And they all started laughing. And and at one point, Vinny had the camera up to the drummer and he was like, yo, where's your mustache? And the dude like, did one of these like clean as a whistle type things. And it'd it'd just be really funny to get that video together and put it all, put it all up on like YouTube or whatever, you know? So we're leading up to that show. And I remember no warning was really late too. Uh, carry on, like had all their stuff set up to open. And then all of a sudden, no warning just like uh, comes out of their van and just, just like shows up and plays. So no warning played first. I'm guessing most people listening to this podcast are familiar with most of these bands, but in case they're not, uh, no warning. Uh, Toronto hardcore band that ended up on Bridge Nine. Uh, they released an EP that year. Uh, I forget if the EP had even a title. It might have just been like self, one of those self-titled EPs or whatever. And then Bridge Nine like repackaged it with their demo. Uh, but that's a band that definitely took off. Them and them and Carry On. And and, and the, as I said, they all were kind of touring together. So you know, I don't know if you I don't know if you have any thoughts on these opening bands or if you want to comment. Kind of yeah, like,
1: later well, like I'm so glad I got to see Carry On because I think that was like one of the very few times they were even on the East Coast. Like they were another one of those Flash in the Pan bands whose legacy, you know, was bigger than that, like they're almost bigger, you know, they almost got more popular after the band broke up. Um, you know, like I think about like how popular, how influential like Chain of Strength and Gorilla Biscuits and Youth It today were and like Chain of Strength was only around for like two years. Uh, and and there's people are still you know making music, listen listening, uh, you know based on their 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 style and and so carry on, like, you know going on like Todd Todd formed Terror and then Nails, so yeah, I'm I'm glad I got to see that band uh, in in their prime and and kind of in my own city. Yeah, Todd Jones is definitely one of the best
0: uh, songwriters for hardcore, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. That LP, a lifeless plague, I want to say it came out like right after this because I don't think they had it with them. but that for me is definitely like one of the best like hardcore records of that era. Yeah, and, and I agree with you getting to see them play in our own hometown is is amazing. And if we get to talk about these fests later, I'll mention an amazing festival performance I saw of theirs earlier that year as well. Uh, as far as I know, I think they toured the East Coast two, maybe three times. I don't know if they if they did like a full tour when they came out here earlier in 2001. I know they toured the East Coast at least one other time though um but they broke up another thing i was thinking about it's interesting uh this is only something that would happen in hardcore uh they were a straight edge band obviously and their singer uh broke edge and they it happened before that like in the time that they recorded the album when it came out he broke edge so they still ended up touring and doing this because they felt bad for chris wren from bridge nine but they broke up like right after that because of that and, oh. and that's like one of those only in hardcore things like you would never like, Think about trying to explain that to anybody in any other scene. <laughs> I was thinking You're about right. that when I was, you know, I was like, there's no way that anybody would ever understand this, like, in any other scene unless they were really from hardcore, you
1: know? Yeah, mean, Black Sabbath can't finish that tour because Ozzy got loaded the night before. You yeah. Know? It's
0: just insane to think about something like that. But, what came out of that, obviously, Todd Jones ended up forming Terror not long after that, you know, and like you said, he yeah. ended up uh, being a part of Nails. And as I said, I think Todd Jones is one of the best hardcore songwriters, and uh, Jordan from No Warning is also a really good songwriter. And uh, Todd Jones is actually uh, working on the next Terra record with those dudes. And Jordan Oh, cool! No I didn't know that. Yeah, Jordan from No Warning is a, one of the guitar players from Terra now too. So think about all those dudes like kind of in a room uh, working on an album
1: together. To me, is, is something. Uh, i am to, have to uh, looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. The, another another band that uh, guys from Carry On or somebody from Carry On went to do was uh, I think Miracle Mile. Um they were they're, they're another band too, that you know didn't have the same popularity as Carry on or Count Me Out," but similarly similar music, and you know maybe one of the lesser bands people should check out if they liked those and, and are into that era of hardcore. Yeah, there were some good bands in California around that time, and there, and
0: there still are now, obviously. I want to say the order of bands we'll, we'll, I'm going to try and talk about the show in the, the order I think the band's played. I want to say Hope Conspiracy played next they were a, another one of those bands that played rochester frequently uh, they 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 formed i want to say in late 99 we had seen them in syracuse like the first weekend they had, they had, they had played a bunch of shows and then after that they were everywhere you like you yeah. saw them buffalo syracuse rochester festivals like they were just one of those bands that was just always out on the road
1: they were another band like Strike Anywhere that had a really good Rochester response too. I remember seeing them. I think the first time they played in Rochester was at St. Joe's, and they headlined. I think it was a Halloween show with like Christmas, uh, Christmas Atticus, and some of those other bands too. But and then and then they also played at the Bug Jar with Strike Anywhere too, and that was another phenomenal one. Yeah, they they always got such a great response. And Cold Blue is like. To me, still I've been listening to that one throughout the pandemic just to try to get myself amped up face of the day and that one's that still holds up too that's a really good record I remember
0: the, you're talking about that Bug Jar show that, that John 25 and I booked with them and Strike Anywhere yeah that same weekend Jenny Yannicka, Dustin Payette and Chad Pasick and myself went down to Gainesville Florida for Gainesville Fest and Hope Conspiracy, American Nightmare and a bunch of other bands but those were like the two that I wanted to see mainly a bunch of other bands played and there's a, there, a, again, Hope Conspiracy is one of those bands that I could, in my head, think of like just tons of different times and places where I saw that band and just, they always got a good reaction, their singer was like just fucking nuts on stage, you know, yeah, like, yeah. it was, I, I, I love that band, that, you know, you're right, that Cold Blue album definitely holds up, man. So next on that show, this is interesting actually too, because Thursday did not headline this show, Thursday played second to last, I remember walking the singer up to the front of the crowd too, and kind of casually being like, hey, if everybody could be really careful uh, right now, <laughs> you know. And again, just to kind of reiterate the point, like, this is like a 65 capacity room. Yeah. You know, well over 300 people there. Like, you and I, I don't know if, like, we're both around 40 now, you know what I mean? And yeah. I would never do something like that now. Like, I would, there's just no way that I would run the risk of getting sued. Like, what if something <laughs> happened, you know? Like, I'm yeah. yeah. Now, you know? The kind like, of, of shit you no don't way. think about when you're 20. It's like at the time, I'm just like, my main concern that night. Uh, Jason Madero, Tyler Farron, and, and maybe Sean Chud, like a couple of those building on fire dudes, they like worked the door and like held the money for me. So I would just go up to Jason like every so often and be like, yo, let me have all the 20s. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, we should yeah. like, just, just be constantly like making sure that all the money was in my pocket, you know? Um, but that was definitely like at the time, like just I like, and even right now, thinking about like 300 people at a show, it's not that many people, you know? But at the time it was just crazy to think about but again, Thursday's one of those bands that I'm not really into that style of music very much at all, but that Full Collapse album to me is is a perfectly written album, and I still listen to that one to this day too. Yeah,
1: that one, the, the big song off that one, the Car Crash one, like that was, again, one of those bands that I kind of could take it or leave it at the time, but everybody was listening to it at the time, so now when I hear that one Thursday song, it really takes me back to like that period of time in my life, and so I kind of, I think I almost appreciate that song and album more now because I can reminisce about it. And it has that angle to it, which at the time I just, you know, it it wasn't like heavy enough for me or something, but yeah, it's, it's funny how stuff will grow on you like that.
0: Yeah. That's funny too, because actually Dustin speaking of him again, he would play that album a lot when him and him and I were roommates and I didn't like it at the time. But then when I got the, the promo copy, when I was booking the show, I was like, man, this album is really good. And you, you referenced in the "Understanding in a Car Crash" song. Obviously, for me, as anybody's listened to a couple of episodes of yeah. this podcast is aware, I listened to that song for the first time in a while recently, and I was like, "Man, fuck!" You know what I mean? Like that, those lyrics mean a lot more to me now. Obviously, yeah. having, having survived something like that, uh, and, and you know, it's cool to see those dudes still doing stuff. Though I know they're not like as active as they once were, but you know, I'm, I'm assuming after the pandemic, we'll see some shows for them too.
1: Yeah, I, th- I feel like I've been seeing a lot of buzz online about just different bands talking about maybe doing like, you know, reunion shows or different, you know, bands talking about doing shoe tours or fests and stuff. I feel like there's a lot of pent up demand for, 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 for shows. I'm, you know, it wasn't very active beforehand, but throughout the whole course of the pandemic, I realized like, I think there's other people cause I've been connecting, reconnecting with a lot of people and people have been reaching out who I've never met before. And I get the sense that there's a lot of people who are really hurting for a sense of community right now and a sense of belonging. And, you know, I've, you know, this this pandemic's been tough on my mental health. Like, I think it has been on probably everyone. And, um, you know, just taking stock of what my life is like now, and looking back on, you know, different things that I've had in my past that have worked well for me or that I've, that I've cherished now, you know, the sense of community is something that I need to, you know, definitely need right now. But, you know, I, I want to work to cultivate that, um, you know, moving forward, because, you know, when the emergency hit, it, you know, I, I wasn't prepared, uh, you know, I didn't have all my ducks in a row. So, you know, I definitely was taking it for granted. And now I realize uh, uh, it's, it's really not everybody has a community like that, that they can return to, or that they can call their own. And um, I guess, I don't know, I was having a conversation with Nick Barron uh, from third party records one day. Just out of the blue. Um, I was feeling kind of down. And so was he. And we were chatting on Instagram. And uh like we both kind of realized that the hardcore scene as a community, it's 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 a community of people as legitimate as any church, I think, as far as like our capacity to get things done and support one another and make a, a positive change in our own lives, but also in, you know, the lives of the people around us who aren't involved. So now that i kind of have that perspective on it i feel like yeah like you know i'm not i've never been a religious person but i'm totally cool with you know this kind of being my stand-in for a church
0: that makes sense man and i and i and i can definitely feel that uh nick Barron's obviously a good dude and somebody i would love to chat with uh for a future episode of this at some point uh and, and as we'll get to uh, he was a part of one of the the uh, influential records that came out that year too in my opinion so yeah but yeah there's only one other band that played this show uh, every time I die, I ended up headlining. Uh, one thing I do remember, and and it's it's just funny, Like my memory is definitely not as good as it was before. Um, obviously, I, I indulged in a lot of substances for like 10 or 15 years, and I uh, fractured my skull in the aforementioned car accident. Um, but I do remember that night, for some reason, there was like some construction or something going on with uh, I-90. And every time I die, I got there really late, and I didn't even know if they were going to make it on time. So that might even be why they headlined that night, actually um but i do remember at one point jordan comes to me being like oh dude we're here and i was just like oh thank god or whatever you know like like you know who would have, like what the reaction would have been like the 300 people there if they, they didn't make it you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. so this was right around the time too and again literally pretty much all the bands on this bill every time i die, being another one of them this was right around the time when their last night in town lp came out and they really started blowing up like it, i feel yeah. like it was kind of like a process where like they slowly kind of got a little bit more uh popular around here and there but like from 2001 to 2003 like they like
1: blew up yeah pretty much you know every one of those bands i think like 2002 was a big year for them so it's like we got in on the ground floor having them you know play in rochester and i wonder like would you even be able to put a show on like that you know like a couple of years later with with a uh, you know bands that big would they even would it even be financially you know viable to come to rochester they probably want to just hit up all the big cities to to get the big shows and and yeah. it's you know speaking of every time i die before i before i lose this thought like that's another band that's grown on me i you know i liked their music i liked their live show especially um when i was younger but like they really seem to have a lot of buffalo pride and have done a lot uh i think for the city of buffalo in a way that like a couple of years ago, I think like the mayor awarded them the key to the city or something. So it's pretty cool to see, you know, hardcore bands get that kind of recognition and and be able to do those kinds of things and, you know, kind of engage in community building in a bigger way than than you would think just some punk kids with skateboards and guitars would have been able to do. What's really crazy for me with Every Time I Die is, is worlds have like collided in many ways.
0: With the way Andy Williams has, like, obviously, yeah. been a pro wrestler because I grew up watching wrestling, but then on another level, uh, I've always loved uh, rap and hip hop music, and now, especially, uh, Buffalo has some really heavy hitters uh, West Side Gun, uh, Benny the Butcher, and Conway. Uh, but specifically, West Side Gun is doing something really cool. Now, you want to talk about like, community. He he opened up this store in, in the Buffalo Mall called like Buffalo Kids, and he sells like all this like Buffalo stuff and like, yeah, and, like stuff. And he had, like, before the store opened he did like this billboard in Buffalo and it was Andy Williams. Uh, in wrestling, I think his, his tag teams like the Butcher and the Blade and there's like the Bunny. Yeah. There was like a billboard of the three of them wearing Buffalo Kids shirts or whatever. So to me, it was just like so crazy to see all these worlds colliding on
1: like one thing, you know? Yeah, I saw that billboard. and I thought like that's, that's like some cool hometown pride that they got there. And that Buffalo Kids company seems like a pretty cool company. I feel like Rochester has that Jaybird guy that's kind of doing something similar. But I, I don't really. I've never actually met him. So, uh, but yeah, I, I, a lot of respect for them because they could have. They, they could have just left. you know. They could have moved to New York City or moved to LA and just, you know, lived it up. But
0: yeah, definitely. And they and again, they 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 carry the the torch for Buffalo, which is really cool. So I guess we'll jump on to the last uh, show that happened that year, and then we'll kind of talk about a couple records.
1: Maybe a couple Do you last. have the flyer for this show? Because I, I just pulled it up on my computer. The, the Thursday show? The Bane that? one.
0: So the Bane one, I don't have the flyer for us, but I here's the bands that I remember playing before you list off the rest of the flyer. Uh, Bane, In Pieces, Break of Dawn, uh, Problem Solver, Revolver, did not sh- did not play that day. And who else do you have on the flyer? Is that it? I got the Disaster. Oh, yeah, they definitely would have played, too. Yeah. That, that was their seven-inch release show. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, as we'll get to, that's, there was three uh, very influential and, and solid records for Rochester that came out that year. And the disaster, I'm pretty sure, released their seven inch or no, the seven inch release show. Uh, I lost money on, on that one. It was a Killer Idols show in June of 2001. Uh, Killer Idols, Trial by Fire, The Disaster, and like a couple other bands at the Bug Jar in June. So they already had their seven inch out by this. But uh, is that all the bands are on that flyer though? Or Yeah, yeah.
1: So yeah, yeah. what do you, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. My recollection was did I remember having, I remember you had tickets made for that show, and I still, I still have my ticket stub. Um, But I think, and maybe you'll probably remember, but did, did, did you sell out? Did the bug jar sell out at that show? Yeah. Yeah. So what's interesting about that is at the time I remember Bobby
0: telling me the capacity was 150 and in recent years, Tim Avery has told me 200, but it doesn't really matter because I definitely had over 200 people there either way that night because I sold 150 tickets. And I remember, I remember like when Bobby told me the capacity was 150, I knew that meant to only sell like a certain amount of tickets but i was just like fuck it, i'll sell 150 and act like i'm confused you know <laughs> and kid, uh yeah. so i sold i put but like people were making fun of me for selling tickets at the time too but i'm like yo bane's playing in a small venue it's gonna be crazy like i want to make sure that whoever wants to go to the show can get there you know yeah and that and yeah the, sh- the show definitely sold out like i had people come in my buddy ian courtney i don't know i don't know if him but some of his detroit people were here that day and i had to like put them on a guest list ever to get them in so again there was that place was way again talking about like. You know, like things that could get you in trouble or whatever. Like that place was definitely overcapacitated that day. You know. Yeah. Um. So who opened that? I, I would think that would it would it be in pieces listed on the flyer? Yeah. So then they they were the opener then. So they were a cool band from Connecticut. Um. They played here. I booked them here a few times too. They were kind of one of those like, they kind of were like melodic hardcore, but then they also kind of went down that like this day forward, like kind of like rock and roll type of route too. You know. <laughs> But they, I remember them being really good dudes. I want to say Jack from With Honor was originally in that band, and that's how I kind of got to know him, too. Um, but yeah, they like there's that. I remember that. Sh- if you look at the lineup on that show, too, aside from the disaster, like those bands all seem kind of random. And I just kind of put those bands on because I knew the show was going to sell out, and I, didn't, I wasn't charging a lot of money. So I, I pretty much had to pay most of the money from the, from the uh, ticket sales to Bane. You know what I mean? So I kind of just had to throw some, like,
1: regional bands on
0: at that point. Yeah. So, um, but I like them pieces a lot. I don't know if you remember those
1: guys at all. Yeah, I do. And I didn't know that they had a connection with With Honor, which kind of makes sense now because musically there there's some similarities in there. I just I just thought – I remember thinking it was funny because a band with a – that's named after a Bane song is, like, playing with Bane. I don't know. I guess you got to pick pick band names. You got to pick, like, minor threat song titles or something.
0: something. I think they would act like it wasn't named after that too, but it's like what else you're from Connecticut? Like what else is it named after, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then I would I would imagine Break of Dawn played next, or no, maybe the Disaster played next actually because they were newer. Uh it doesn't really matter either way. The Disaster, uh obviously after Head On broke up, John formed the Disaster with I mean you know, there was a lot of this a lot of the people from the Disaster basically with uh with uh pieces on vocals uh which is which? they they went in much more of a different direction musically obviously like more like punk rock you know like hardcore punk i guess but i i really enjoyed that that first evidence as well as the lp i don't know what your thoughts were on the disaster
1: yeah they were like another one of those bands like Standfast, where it was you know they had credibility outside of the scene outside of rochester and so it, it always you know it felt like okay now like people outside of rochester know where we are and like know what our music is all about
0: and one thing that was cool, too, is, they, is that dude, Scott Enwell, who put out those records. Uh, I, I didn't really know him at all until he started coming here, and John introduced me to him. But I, I haven't talked to him since the last uh, Bad Business show, which obviously was a long time ago. But he was always a really, a super nice guy, and he would be someone to be really cool to catch up with. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed the disaster. Break of Dawn, I think you and I have talked about in the past. They're one of those bands that, like, I understand their importance, like locally and like musically, but like I, I just at the time didn't really enjoy them as much. I'm sure if I went back and listened to them now, I'd be like, okay, now I get it more. You know what I mean? I'm sure you're gonna obviously have more a little bit of a different opinion, but
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, of of the of the like, Standfast and Break a Dawn, I was who put together, and, and Stanfast was my the my preferred of the two, probably because they had better crowd participation, and, and you know, there's a number of reasons, but yeah, I feel like Break a Dawn. Had the opposite problem that most bands in rochester had which was that they weren't as popular in rochester as they were in like other cities like didn't didn't one day savior put out their their cd yeah like I they, you're right. and, and i think they were also they had a they had like like labels that put out pretty big bands put their stuff out but they just weren't a huge draw in rochester Uh, the same way that like i don't know Standfast and the disaster were. i mean i'm not i don't i don't want to undersell their popularity they definitely could headline a show and and pack a room but um i think their music was getting a little bit more like the technical angle of it like they you know matt you could hear kind of the um you know the more metal influence in it versus the the more punk influence of like the disaster and, and stand fast which were kind of going for more straightforward mosh pit crowd participation i think
0: yeah and that's i think why i i kind of always uh geared more towards like stanfest and bands like that however i will say eric lapore is obviously one of the best guitar players of that yeah. era. and speaking of metal it's interesting because like i come more from like punk and hardcore but like i did see a lot of lethargy shows back then and so did eric and you can kind of tell when you hear him play guitar that, that there's uh, there you know um but one thing that you you mentioned too about the crowd participation i want to bring up too is I will say I enjoyed Break of Dawn a lot more in their later years because I don't remember their first vocalist as much. But that second dude, like he even said one time at a show, like some I don't I'm gonna be you know I might not not might not be verbatim, but he said somebody the effect of like if you know the words keep them to yourself or some shit like that. He <laughs> want people to sing along and like going off and and then like Brad's first show I think was that New Year's Eve show I booked in 2000 in going into 2001 and he said something like. I want you guys to sing along. I want you guys to have fun. And then pieces even said someone later, like, it's really cool that, you know, they don't have like some douchebag on vocals anymore or some, or some pretentious <laughs> asshole, something like that. And I think that's one thing that probably kind of hurt them a little bit too, is having somebody like
1: that who didn't really want to have uh, Yeah. you know, I guess I'd forgotten about that, but now that you'd mentioned it, I, I guess I'd remembered, uh, I'd remembered that. Yeah. Brad was definitely the, like he had the best stage presence. Sean, the first, was he was the first singer, right? Yeah, he was. He, he had pretty good stage presence too. But Brad, really, you know, because of his time in Contempt, I think he 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 was a better showman. And going back
0: to Strike Anywhere, obviously Brad's one of those dudes who had a lot to say too. And I think that's something why, yeah, something that really resonated with me because him and I definitely had a lot of the same, um, like activist activism like beliefs and, and direction that we were heading in around that time. So I always liked to to hear him speak, you know? Um, so now obviously we'll get into to the, to the goodies of the show, of that show. Uh, Rochester favorite, definitely at the time. I think this show probably could have been held at a venue twice the size and, and possibly still sold out because Bain always drew a lot of Rochester people. Um, I think they're one of the few bands you can say that drew more people in Rochester than they did in Buffalo and Syracuse at that time. Yeah. There's not very many bands that would, that would be able to say that, you know?
1: I, I think I agree too. And, uh, Bain too, like their fans travel too. Like, like I probably I've traveled to see Bain more than any other one other band. Although I think, I still think my favorite time seeing them was probably like at Eli Fagan when they played on the floor, like you've seen a band with that kind of energy play. the floor is like you don't really get that in any other kind of genre of music.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think you and I have talked about this before too. Like, I love the floor shows, but I also love shows where there's a stage
1: because I love stage diving. Yeah, you need that—that's perfect height stage. Like, uh, I went to I went to a, a show in Toronto and I saw Bane It was um, it was called like Hard Luck. It was like a bar, and the stage is probably like a foot and a half high. It was like maybe two feet high, just like the perfect height. Like you could see the band perfectly. You could you could stage dive, but you could also sing along. No barricade and all that. Like yeah. that to me is the perfect height.
0: Yeah, that 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 was one thing about this show. And actually, we we haven't really talked about that yet. Is the Bug Jar is like a really cool venue, but for some reason they weren't as cool that day. I don't know if it's because the show was so packed, but they were like no stage diving, which is like like a Bane show. Come on, dude. I mean, at the same time, that show was that stage was pretty cramped as it was, you know but like that that place was like dripping with sweat by the time they were done playing that night like it was just i mean the give blood lp had come out like maybe two months prior to that yeah you know so they i mean i can't think of any time i saw bane where it wasn't like just insane crowd participation i mean obviously all those hellfest posi numbers like those like they just always got a ridiculous response and i hope there's still a vhs uh, copy floating around of this show somewhere because I'd love to see it. There's, there's a
1: somebody ripped the Bane show at Penny Arcade and that's on YouTube. Um, yeah, we got to get that uh, that hate five six guy on there. He's like, he's getting real like anthropological with this. He's like. Any to any band, it seems like he wants to digitize, no matter how unpopular they were, or even if it was just some local band that nobody outside of the hometown cared about. He like wants to get his hands on it. But I'm I'm super grateful for him because, like, part of my reason for wanting to put together this Instagram page and and working with Rob on this book and this, you know, archiving the the bands on the SoundCloud is like, I, I know this is kind of egotistical, but this is all very important stuff in helping me kind of figure out who I am. And I know it was for my friends. And so I assume it is for a lot of other people. And, and like, I don't want, I don't want people to like, forget this, like, you know, this stuff still holds up. It still has value now. So I'm grateful that he's doing that. But uh yeah, I think like every city should, should take uh somebody should take pains to digitize some of this stuff. Cause some of these tapes, like, fuck, I reach out to guys in bands and they don't even have the recordings that they played on anymore. So you've got to just hope somebody has it lying around in a closet. You can rip it and people can enjoy it again.
0: Well, that's one thing that is 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 interesting to think about. It kind of touches on what I was going to say next is when you're in the moment, like back then, especially, but even now, probably with some bands, I don't think people realize just how important and, and influential these moments are. Yeah. Like, like if you think back to 2001, like we knew that Bane album was good. We knew all the albums that we've talked about so far and we're going to talk about soon were good. But like now now some of these albums like the Carry On LP, the Bane LP, a couple other LPs that came out that year, you could put those on the same level in my opinion as some of the classic hardcore records.
1: Yeah, yeah, know definitely I mean? definitely definitely like um like Bane is up there I think in like the the hardcore Hall of Fame with like all the classic revelation records bands and like I have no doubt people will be talking about Bane shows the way that people talk about youth of today's shows, you know, years, years later.
0: And again, that's just something crazy to think about because I don't think very many of us realized at that time that in 20 years people would like, I, I mean, obviously we didn't know podcasts or stuff like this would exist, but yeah. like, I don't think, I don't think we would have known that people would 20 years later still be wanting to talk about this stuff. And like, like i know for a fact that people are going to listen to this and be like oh yeah i remember all these like we were talking about on the instagram live last night and people were like rattling off shows and just different things that happened that year and it was it was a really influential year and, and a really good time so i guess we can start getting into the records now so i i know there's probably other records that came out in 2001 so anybody listening to this that wants to like send me a message and be like oh you forgot this this and that well we'll either put it on the next episode or you can put it on your podcast um but I remember three very important Rochester records that came out that year. So we'll talk about those first building on fire, uh, released their LP on hex records that year built blueprint for a space romance. Obviously I've had Rob on the episode, uh, or on the podcast a few times. Uh, I think you and I have probably talked about building on fire quite a bit too, but in my opinion, uh, at that time, Jason Madero was probably one of the best frontmen around here. Like, you know, like, like seeing him, go off at a building on fire show was, was definitely different. You know, you didn't see a lot of front men like that around here. So for me, that was really fun. And, and that LP to me, that one holds holds
1: up too. Yeah, I agree. And, um, for me, what I always liked about what I always liked about um, building on fire was like I I liked the dynamic that existed between Sean and Matt and Tyler. I thought those guys were so funny back then. Um, you know, like Tyler did some pretty, pretty memorable things with, um, was it the exam? Was that his band? And, uh, and Sean to this day is still one of the funniest people I know. Um, and he, he always puts me in a good mood. So, you know, it's just his guys too. They, you know, they were, you can tell they were all friends and, and you can tell that they, they, uh you know, they're genuine people. I, my personal favorite though, like nothing beats the guitar intro to the first seven inch by building on fire. Like that to me is like, I don't know. That's probably one of my favorite Rochester songs. Um, and, you know, the lead in to have that be the first thing you guys, you know, you put out as a band, like it really set the stage. That's uh, the one with murdering
0: eye in it, right? That's yeah.
1: Awesome.
0: So the funny story with that, which I referenced in the Mike Jeffers interview, is we were at a show in Buffalo once. Uh, it, it probably would have been 2001, I guess. It was Standfast and Building on Fire in a basement in Buffalo. And uh, I met Mike Jeffers for the first time that night. And anybody who knows me knows that I would mosh for pretty much every local band back then. And that that part in particular would get me pretty wild. And another thing that was pretty signature for Josh Lyons back then was, like, the shirtless mosh. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they get to that part of the song, and I go to take my shirt off and just to kind of throw it behind Tyler's drum set. And Mike Jeffers is standing right behind Tyler, and the shirt flies and hits Mike right in the face pretty much and just, like, <laughs> falls on the ground. And anybody who knows Mike knows he's, like, a pretty hard-nosed, like, New York dude. and. I was like, this dude's going to come to me and punch me in the face afterwards or whatever, you know, but luckily he didn't say anything about it. He didn't really seem to care. I think I apologized to him or whatever. And he was just like, you
1: know, caught up in the moment type thing or whatever. But yeah, he's, he's another guy people should follow on Instagram. If, if you're interested in like local, local hardcore scenes, cause he's always digging up old stuff from Buffalo's past.
0: Yeah. yeah he's a really good dude. Very connected to Buffalo hardcore and very connected to Rob Antonucci from their previous bands. Obviously the building on fire. LP was very good. I, I, all their recorded output was very good. One of those, another one of those bands that I feel like different time, different place. Maybe like obviously they did well here. We had the failed U.S. tour with Standfast, you know. And I don't think they really did a whole hell of a lot after that, you know. And and I, I put out, I think we called them like MCDS back then, like a mini CD or whatever. Like yeah. It was, it was like a five-song CD or whatever. But that, but because of my issues with finances at the time and trying to put out like three records at the same time it took a long time to come out and i think they just lost a lot of steam by then but i feel like a lot of bands around that era as we've been saying throughout this episode especially rochester bands like like could have been a lot more popular than they were just not just on a local level you know so the next one i guess we'll get to we've talked about this a little bit uh so far in this episode is the the standfast seven inch i don't know if you remember when this one came out i know it came out in 2001 like we were talking about earlier I can't remember if it came out like late summer you know I don't I don't I don't have much of a recollection of I know it came out on on alone records uh which Andrew Andrew's a good dude he's definitely somebody I'd like to get on a future episode because he put out a lot of good stuff um
1: and he had some ties to Rochester too obviously yeah he ran such a great distro I have like so many records and CDs to this day that I bought from him that like I would bands I would have never found out about if he hadn't like cared enough to start his own you know, distribution, um, you know, bring his own distro to the show. I think, I think that one came out in the summer because I think they had it for when they were playing shows with Strike Anywhere. Um, That was the summer I graduated from high school. So, so a lot of that stuff is is pretty memorable um, just because of what was going on in my life. Um, But yeah, I mean, I mentioned it earlier, but that it still holds up. I mean, a band could write that seven inch today and, and I think people would, I think it could be just as popular or even more popular. I mean, it, yeah. And I think, I think that is the album too, that has elusive date on it, which you could tell was a very a deeply personal song for Rory. And, uh, you know, I, I, remember being, I don't know how old I was 18 at the time and just really impressed that he, you know, could, could get up there and, you know, speak to that experience. I agree
0: completely. And and when I interviewed him and Brian Van Etten, we definitely talked about that a little bit, because obviously uh, when Rob Antonucci interviewed me for my episode, I, I put Rory as my Mount Rushmore for Rochester Hardcore because you know, who else am I going to put, you know, I haven't been a part of that era, but like his, his lyrics were, were very personal and, and you know, lot, some of them were very relatable to me too. Like maybe not that song as much, obviously, but like some of those songs, like on their first album, you know a lot a lot of the stuff was just stuff that i had to deal with too and it was it was just you know i i appreciate his lyrics a lot and to see like just the kind of different bands he's been a part of over the years has has been really cool too obviously
1: yeah i would say you are mentioning the the rochester hardcore mount rushmore i think i think i would put him and rob rory and rob on there just because all the bands they've done if each one of them has made a significant contribution i think i would probably put a, i probably want to put somebody uh, you know older on there too so maybe like somebody from foundation or, or hunger artist um you know just so that you can get the perspective of guys who are doing it you know without any semblance of the internet um at least like when i got involved in punk and hardcore there was like dial up i don't know i don't know who my fourth i don't know who my fourth person would be well i maybe, we'll maybe our, I'm sorry, yeah but- we'll get, you give me some time. Maybe, maybe, think about maybe a Brandon. Maybe Brandon Contempt. I don't know. He's done a lot too, and he's been in a lot of bands. Yeah, he plays bass in like Sheer Terror too, which is pretty, pretty wild to see somebody from Rochester playing with a, such a legendary band. Yeah, he's definitely active uh, with New York Hardcore too. Uh, you know,
0: definitely a shout out to Brendan. Yeah, we'll we'll give you. I'll ask you that question again at the end to make sure you don't want to revise it though. Yeah, I'll, I'll think uh, about it. I'll think about it. So the other record that we have that came out locally that year, which again, I referenced a little bit in the beginning, the Disaster 7-inch, uh, I think it was called With Years Left to Go. Um, again, that was on on Scott, I don't remember how to say his last name, Gargioni maybe. He had a label called Enwell Records, so I always knew him as Scott Enwell. And that's yeah. about, about hardcore. Is like Say seventy five percent of the people I knew all had like like random nicknames that we all called each other. You know,
1: it's like first name plus the name of the first band that person was in eight years yeah. ago that no one yeah. remembers. The band that nobody that band that was probably pretty terrible too. To um, so this day, Jeff in Motion I think has that <laughs> has their yeah. problem.
0: Yeah, and everybody just called him Motion, obviously. Yeah. So so then yeah, so they released that seven inch. I want to say again, it was June of two thousand one because I remember I booked uh kill your idols trial by fire them and maybe one other i don't if you had a flyer, it, it, you you know I, I didn't tell you about this show in advance obviously
1: i think i have that
0: one somewhere yeah i'm sure you do i i definitely still have like the, the the big uh poster size of it but that was one of those shows uh real quick to touch on that show that i started booking shows early on and, and would think shows are going to do really well and set a guarantee for a band and then summertime would hit with this one in particular and there'd be no college kids here so not a lot of kids showed up and I ended up losing money, you know, and
1: the disaster yeah. was
0: still fun at that show. I remember they covered, uh, I don't know if you remember this or not, but they covered uh, Time
1: Flies from Gorilla Biscuits. Yeah. I think they were covering around that around that time too. Yeah, that was always a problem Rochester had was we were so dependent on RIT for people uh, coming to shows that, you know, in the summers you had kind of a lull when more most cities probably saw a surge in interest and then, you had a very transient population so you'd have like people coming into town just for a couple of years doing some great bands and then leaving you know for parts unknown
0: so in, in lieu of posting tracks of these bands on this episode i'm going to actually link the uh, soundcloud because i'm guessing you probably have uh you have uh, I think you probably have, have the s- two
1: records or maybe you don't have Stanfast fast down there because they're on spotify now I have Standfast on there, and I think I have that disaster one, but I don't have the blueprint for Space Romance because around the time I was putting the SoundCloud together was when um, Mike put out the um, the Building on Fire discography, and I I didn't want to like cannibalize sales for that because he obviously had to invest some money in that.
0: All right, so that's on Classic Core Records, uh, Mike Jeffers (laughs) label on Buffalo. So we'll put a link to that because you can get the Building on Fire discography, which includes that, but it's also I think. I don't know if it's available digitally as well as on CD through Hex Records still, but I'll put his Bandcamp up too. Okay. To do it there, and then I'll put a link to your SoundCloud for the Rochester Hardcore in the in the bio to this episode or whatever. So if people want to check out the, the songs that we're talking about as well as pretty much any Rochester Hardcore. Like you have, like you know. Yeah, I
1: have I have Building on Fire's first seven inch, so you can hear the song we were talking about if if you're not familiar with them and that and i, th- I want to say that song's called poltergeist whispers that poltergeist whispers yeah. yeah
0: so that that's that's a classic building on fire song there too so yeah we'll put the link into the soundcloud to check that out so now i'm just going to rattle off a few other records that came out that year nationally and again i'm sure other records were released locally that year that i've probably forgotten to put on my list for this episode so maybe we'll do a part two uh be it with greg or nooch or somebody else in the future and talk about everything else so here's some other records that came out that year converge jane doe was
1: yeah
0: september of 2001 um before i kind of dive into my thoughts on that album kind of tell me what your what your uh, thoughts are
1: i like that album but not as much as petitioning the empty sky and f- like i like converge and respect them musically but like Jane Doe is kind of the last Converge album I really got into for me. Like I like Jane Doe and earlier, and it seems like there's a lot of people for, for Converge. It's like Jane Doe is the cutoff point. It's like, are you a Converge fan from Jane Doe onward or from the beginning up until Jane Doe? They put out, I I think their next album came out on Epitaph but whatever it was. I,
0: I want to say, I want to say it was called like no heroes or something like that. I recommend revisiting that because that album's really good too. Huh, but yeah. I, do, I do get what you're saying though about, about a kind of being a cutoff because there's a lot of bands like that. And Converge did kind of morph into like more – I mean, I haven't listened to as much of their newer stuff either. I, I would be interested to see what it sounds like though. But I remember when Jane Doe came out just being completely floored by that album. I know Rob Antonucci and I have talked about this on previous episodes. I was kind of referencing uh, Vincent Minervino earlier in the episode though when that album first came out, like literally the day I got, because I had a fanzine at the time for those unfamiliar, uh, The Right Path, I would get all the promotional stuff to review for there from all the labels. So I got that CD and, and we, him and I were just driving around in his like arm's length, what we called a uh, uh van. We were driving around listening to that Converge CD. Like, I don't know what we were doing that day, but we, were, we listened to that thing back to back like two or three times. And we both were just like, holy shit, this thing is incredible. And, before you and I actually did this episode tonight, I put on like the first three songs of that album, and they're just as heavy as they were back then. That yeah. album is fucking phenomenal. I agree with you. "Petitioning the Empty Sky" is really good too. Um, but seeing Converged in this era, because if you remember, from like '97 to like 2000, maybe even 2001, early 2001, they didn't play this area all that often. Yeah they played Buffalo and Syracuse once or twice at most. And then around 2001, they started playing around here more frequently. And it it was always like Jacob Bannon is definitely one of the better front men for this kind of shit. Yeah, Seeing him live, even though he kind of hit me in the face pretty hard with the mic stand that one time and loosened my tooth before it got knocked <laughs> out a couple of months later. Um, That, that record to me though is, is, is definitely ridiculous. And, it's obviously one of the more influential albums that came out that year, in my opinion.
1: It's probably up there too. Like people will still be talking about that album. I mean, it's 20 years and people are still talking about it it's still. Yeah. That's up there.
0: What I think is interesting too, before we jump into the next couple of records is like, I don't read like Kerrang or any of those magazines, but I feel like if they were to do like a top hundred, like metal or yeah. hardcore metal albums, it would definitely be on there, you know? another one though that kind of came up in my mind that i'm not sure i think some people might be surprised to to see me put this on such an influential list but we were talking about nick barron earlier pretty much anything no time left did was was ridiculous for me but i'm pretty sure that uh zero effort solution ep came out in 2001 and seeing them around this era was just a real treat for me uh they they always got a really good reaction and and someone for me who kind of came from punk and then found hardcore that way like a band like that, that like welcomed both scenes was was just was just like nice for me, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good band to be type of music to play because you can kind of walk in both worlds. Whereas, like I remember playing shows where I was always in hardcore, more hardcore influenced bands, but then you get stuck on like a show with a punk band, and it's fun to play or whatever, but you don't go over quite as well. The thing about No Time Left too is like each member of that band it was like an all-star lineup of like previous popular successful Buffalo bands. And so like pretty much every band I've been in, we've had to like figure out, okay, like what kind of band are we? Like, are we good enough to play our instruments to be that kind of band? Whereas like no time left, like, you know, Nick had been in half mast was, was Eric Elman in no time left too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, and like, just everybody was already well established already had connections and um yeah, it's a, it's a, it's that's that one's that that one's up there with uh maybe i maybe i'm conf- conf- confusing them with breather or resist or some of those other bands which used those like massive extra like full stacks when you're playing a basement show but they were always loud as hell
0: too no you're right they were loud uh i don't I don't know what the influence was there, but they they had big amps. I remember them being really loud. And another they toured that summer with another band that they shared members with, and they called it the No Time to Live tour or something like that. It was it was Eric's other band, They Live. Oh yeah. And They, and they Live's actually, uh, as far as I know, reformed and putting out another record on 625 records pretty soon. So check that out. And uh speaking of Nick Barron, too, actually, uh, there's another podcast out of Buffalo, Nickel City Scene Report or something along those lines, Nickel City yeah. City. Um, yeah. A bunch of friends of mine, Mark Miller, Alex Byrne, they actually have a new episode that's probably already out by the time this airs with Nick Barron, so people uh, check that out too, obviously. Now, another thing, I might have my dates mixed up, but I'm pretty sure the same weekend of my birthday where that we, we did that Strike Anywhere Standfast show, I think the American Nightmare, I think their second EP and the Shark Attack EP came out that weekend, and there was like a release show that weekend. Which Shark Attack was like a smaller band at the time, but even that band, like people, people still talk about that band to this day, and that record, that seven-inch to me definitely holds up. I bought like the discography LP from like Six Feet Under Records or whatever label that was a couple of years back, and and that that shit is really good. But American Nightmare is just like
1: that that second EP is like when they came into their own too. Like the first one was popular. But I feel like they were kind of riding their co- their coattails of like ten- their connections with Ten Yard Fight a little bit, and then that second one they were like a totally different thing than from Ten Yard Fight. And Wes is up there too with like Jacob Bannon is a frontman. Like he's he puts on a great show too. The lyrics that Wes
0: wrote are you I, I at the time nobody had ever like thought to write anything like that. Obviously, yeah, I agree with you to a certain extent about the Ten Yard Fight thing. Obviously, they didn't really sound like them, but they were kind of using that as as the yeah. kind of guide to get started but i think a lot of bands kind of have to do that when they're first yeah. started you know um, but what i will say about that first american nightmare ep is you could tell with his lyrics what 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 was going to happen in the future of that band like he was already yeah. writing shit that was just and at the time too for me i was going through like my first serious breakup uh, my grandma was was getting was kind of on her way out and she was the one that raised me yeah so to hear some really dark uh, like depressing shit was exactly what I needed at the time and when that second EP came out uh, my old roommates uh, Dustin and Petey will, will be able to attest to this I sat there in our little uh, living room on my computer and that it's a it's a what like a three or four song season, yeah. eight minutes long I would listen to that thing like at least 10 or 20 times a day for probably like two or three months like those those that second song is like maybe 30 seconds long and it's got so much fucking fire and energy to it. It's so
1: intense. Like the first, like it took old school, which was already short, fast, pissed off songs. And then just condensed it even more on that, on that EP.
0: I only ever saw them play that second song once or twice live, but it was, it it was definitely insane. Um, So the only other record that came out that year that I have on my list. And again, as I'll say one more time, I'm sure I'm going to, I don't have everything that came out that year uh but we talked about a little bit but we'll talk about this one some more because i think it, it deserves a little bit more attention uh bane give blood so what's really interesting about that uh we'll kind of tie this in i had written down uh, obviously 9-11 happened in 2001 yeah we'll kind of tie that in a little bit because it's it's really crazy to think about they had written and recorded this album before 9-11 happened and then they have a song called give blood on there you know like that was just like what are the odds
1: I remember there was like a building on fire show or like one of their like something was going to be released like music was going to be released around that time too and and i remember them thinking like oh is this in like poor taste or something like along those lines too the name
0: the name drew a little concern but i think you're more referencing the flyer that rob and i had designed
1: that's right that's right that's what it was Yeah
0: use the pyromania artwork from Def Leppard I'm pretty sure Yep. we had put those up like all over Monroe Ave like the week before 9-11 happened <laughs> and that 9-11 yeah episode, we're like we looked at each other we we're like yo uh time to change that flyer or whatever and and the other thing too that we didn't reference in that uh which again this is off topic because we're not talking about Bane here but that that Thursday hope conspiracy every time at show, which we'll post the flyers to Dan Bress started drawing some ridiculously good flyers around that era. And that was the first one, but yeah, no, the, the 9-11 thing happened. And then I want to say give blood came out like October, maybe November. Again, I would get like advanced copies for my fanzines. I don't remember exactly like what the release dates were for all these albums, but I know it was already out before the bug jar show.
1: Uh, Yeah. I remember I had gotten a tape of one of those advanced copies and like just poured over it. To try to like figure out what it was all about before I could get my hands on the like lyric sheets. That um, and and, and, and I'm glad you mentioned nine eleven too because that was that was like a really weird year because some of those shows being pre nine eleven and some of them being post nine eleven and just how much that set the tone honestly for I don't know what it feels like to be in this country sometimes politically. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've been I've been thinking about that, that period of time a fair amount during the pandemic because I feel like in the 90s, before the ubiquity of the internet, we kind of had this. We kind of had this sense that, like, I don't know. I just it just it just felt like reality wasn't coming apart uh, with all these like crazy conspiracy theories that it seems like an increasing number of people buy into like i mean there were still conspiracy theories and stuff but it it seemed like the majority of people like basically took took our government at face value and and after 911 i feel like that's not the case not that that's a bad thing but you know it is it is i do find myself sometimes deluding myself into thinking that was a simpler time or things were more straightforward or people meant what they said or something I think that was definitely the first time in the
0: internet era people really started questioning the government. 9-11 was definitely something that anybody who lived that was alive that day will never forget where they were that day, obviously. And, and you're, and you're right though, before and after is definitely crazy. And a a tie in with that would obviously be COVID and the pandemic and thinking about before and after that. And another kind of not to go too far into the weeds with like politics and like, you know, uh, like right wing and like racist assholes and stuff. But to think about after 9-11, all these like Muslim people walking in the streets that started getting like fucked with and beaten up, like, and they had nothing to do with this. You know what I mean? And now like you're legitimately seeing Asian American people being fucking burnt on the streets that had nothing to do with the fucking coronavirus happening.
1: You know? it, feels, it feels to me like once 9-11 happened, like, it feels like people who are like i don't know that there's more racist people now but it feels like the people who are racist don't have any problem like wearing that on their sleeve whereas i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm just imagining you know this or i'm fantasizing about a time that never really existed but it just seemed like racism has always been a problem but you just didn't see as much overt racism i guess and maybe that's just because of the internet and smartphones we got people recording every second of their lives now but Yeah, I don't know. I I definitely find myself lately with the pandemic indulging in the fantasy that life was easier back then, although, you know, I know that that wasn't the case.
0: I think, like, what you're referencing with, like, all the the racist people at the forefront and just, not just racist, but, like, a lot of people saying, like, just stuff that I don't agree with. Which is even, like,
1: people who are, like, taking, like, legitimate, like, I know a number of people, I, I like them as people, but, like, they're just, like, taking an awful lot of preparations for like a battle, a, a, a hypothetical battle with the government that I don't know is like ever going to happen. Like, it just seems like you got a lot more people buying into like, we need to be armed to the teeth and have like doomsday vaults in our house. And I guess I get it. Cause yeah, things are pretty shitty out there, but
0: there's no obviously fortunate time for a pandemic. And obviously yeah. most of the people that we're referencing probably wouldn't even call this a pandemic, but I think that the timing of the pandemic was pretty poor because all these people who were already kind of reading all this crap and all this QAnon crap and whatever else you want to call it, now they have yeah. more time that they're stuck inside and even more Staying time at home. pissed off about this stuff. So, you know, I, I don't agree with it, but I can understand why they would, you know, do the things they're doing and getting into the things they are. And it, it is sad and, and hopefully people will kind of realize the error of their ways eventually maybe they won't you know
1: <laughs> yeah and i mean the pandemic is definitely like definitely has influenced all that like people that are angrier people who are who were going to be angry anyways are even angrier now and people who weren't angry before are angry and um but I, I just don't know like if the pandemic hadn't happened and we hadn't had like kind of people at their wits end with their frustrations with life i don't know if like the black lives matter movement would have had as much traction as it did um you know in the summer and you know i guess i view that as like something that maybe the pandemic inadvertently helped um in some way either because you had people with time on their hands to organize or to read up on some of these things that are going on and or uh, or because you just had people who are saying, oh, I've, I'm, like, at the end of my rope now. I'm going to, like, take to the streets and actually, you know, use my voice for once.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. And uh, not to self-promote, but I, I have a future episode with – uh, I just had Christopher Pogue on recently, and I've had Matt from New Ethic Pizzeria on here in the past. Okay. Um, once he's feeling a little bit better, I'm going to have those two guys on together because, obviously, if, if you, anybody follows Matt on Instagram, yeah. whether he's, it's restaurant
1: he's... or him – very into activism, yeah. So yeah, I'm glad you're going to have him on. He was, he was, yeah. People, if, if you're thinking of supporting a local business, you could support New Ethic uh, for vegan pizza. But he was, I talked to him, you know, texting him on on um, Instagram, and he he was like in the hospital for like almost three months. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, for he uh, he sounds like he had a rough time. So I'm glad he's I'm glad he's out and he's doing better, and I'm glad New Ethic is. Is uh, I I work right by New Ethics. So I order them, you know, about once a week. Nice, yeah. We had their pizza for my son's birthday like a week ago, and
0: yeah, it's good to see he's doing better. I, I saw all that obviously, but yeah, like I like I just like I said, he's definitely like you were saying, somebody who knows a lot about activism. And when I interviewed him last year, it was right before all this stuff started happening, like Black Lives Matter and whatnot. So I felt kind of bad.
1: I think that'll be a great episode. And it's it was just, I guess the reason I I you know link Black Lives Matter. I just wanted to. Revisit one of my thoughts. Link Black Lives Matter with the pandemic is just with all the protesting that went on in Rochester. It really felt like, like it was really. I I remember seeing YouTube videos that were like Russian news broadcasts from just some random city in Russia, and they were like covering the the protests in Rochester. Um, you know, it really felt like history was kind of coming into town or something.
0: Yeah. I 100% agree, and I I didn't take part in the first wave of protests. Um, not I don't know if I'll put this on the air or not, but I have a uh, a slight criminal record from uh the uh, car accident mistake that I had a couple years ago. So that wasn't going to expire until like I don't I don't remember exactly when it expired, but it was in between the two. Yeah. And once the Daniel Prude thing happened, I, I thought about it for a second. I was like, yeah, I'm 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 in the clear now. So I I went to pretty much. Yeah. All those protests, you know, got tear gas the one night, and just the just 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 a sense of community. Like, you, it's 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 a connection to what you're saying about hardcore. You know, like being yeah. there those nights with those people and walking the streets with them, and seeing them singing those songs. That those nights, like, I I've, I I can only think of a few other nights where I've I've been a part of something like that. You know, yeah, and definitely something that 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 meant a lot to me. And the only thing I'll say about that, real quick, is we have at least four documented cases of issues with police in Rochester in the last year. Oh, I know. So anybody who doesn't think that there's a problem with our, our police force uh, is sadly mistaken. I think that's a lot. That's a pretty much a lot of the episode or a lot of what I had planned for the episode.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for, thanks for inviting me back. I, I don't know. I've it's been a real treat to do this Instagram and I'm grateful for everyone that I've been able to reconnect with who I've known and, um, people who've sent me stuff who I've never known. Um, so yeah, if you listen to this and you have flyers, pictures of old shows, uh, even recordings, um, you know, you can send them along to me, Rochester hardcore history on Instagram. I have a, um, SoundCloud archive of old bands from eighties up into the two thousands. And, uh, I've started selling some stickers, um, just to like offset some of the costs for the hosting the SoundCloud. So if, if you want stickers, Otherwise, you, you can just peel them off of the various places I've stuck them around Rochester if you don't want to pay a dollar for them. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you for having me on. And uh, check out my, my Instagram if you like older, hardcore, and you want to trip down memory lane. So thanks to Greg
0: Benoit for doing the interview. Thanks, as always, to Rob Antonucci for all the help with the podcast. Thanks to my family for the never-ending support. The next couple episodes will feature Brian Rao, Paul, and Dean from The Weight We Carry. Derek Dole, and there'll be a bunch of other uh, stuff, I'm sure. As always, check us out on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. Thanks, everybody, and stay safe.